Hey, faithful listener. Thanks for tuning in to the P40 Ministries daily podcast. This podcast is dedicated to helping you grow spiritually so you can grow personally. Let's grow together by building a consistent Bible reading routine. This is Jen, your host, and today we will be discussing the book of Exodus. Hey, good morning, friends and faithful listeners. Thank you for tuning into the P40 Ministries podcast. And hi, my name is Jen, and I am the host of the P40 Ministries podcast. And today I have a guest on the podcast, and this is Casey Freeman. And he is actually the... um, brand new youth leader intern that we have at our church and uh, I've gotten to know him over the past couple weeks and he's a pretty great guy and I thought it would be cool to have him on the podcast that he could uh, talk a little bit about Exodus chapter 26 with us but before we do that I would love for you to introduce yourself Casey to the P40 Ministries podcast audience. All right Uh, hey there everybody my name is Casey Freeman as Jen has stated I'm super excited and honored to come onto the podcast today and talk to you guys a bit about Exodus 26. A uh, fun fact about myself is even though I'm in youth ministry, I have a huge love for cars and I'm actually a certified auto body technician. Oh, I didn't actually know that. I knew you liked yeah. cars. <laughs> and what do oh, you yeah, have? I love, I love what, what's the car I have? You have? A, I have a 1999 Chevrolet Corvette. Uh-huh. <laughs> my, it is my baby. I've had it for a month now. I drove all the way to Baltimore to get it. Uh, did it the trip in one day. It was a very long 16 hour day and it was crazy and miserable and also fun. And by the time I got home, I was so stressed and tired. I just collapsed. <laughs> and uh, you're part of the race team at our church as well. Yes. Yes. I, uh, I enjoy a good, a good race car, which uh, we're bummed because we might be done for the season, which the season's pretty much done anyway. There was one final race we were going to do in two weeks and seem to have some type of head issue with the engine and it's overheating and it's making a huge mess, but I've had a ton of fun being on the race team this year. And it's nice because we travel around and it's, it's a good opportunity to just hang out with different people at racetracks and try to minister to them in their lives. I had a really neat opportunity where I got to watch pastor Mike um, just point out hundreds and hundreds of people that he knew. And I remember this one time we were at uh, Painesville speedway and this, uh, walks up to this gentleman who had been going through a divorce about five years ago and has since rekindled his relationship with his wife. And it was so interesting to just watch Mike literally sit there in the middle of a noisy racetrack and talk to this guy for 45 minutes and just (laughs) like, it was, it was amazing. It's the most unique ministry experience I've ever had. It is a unique experience. I never, I thought it was so funny the first time I started going to that church that he was called faster pastor. That's just hilarious to me. Oh yeah. <laughs> I love a good pun. Yeah. The faster, faster. Yeah. And it's, it's so good. Yes. And I completely agree with you about uh, pastor Mike. Cause one time I went to a coffee shop with him and we were talking about some stuff and it was like every other person that walked through the door he knew. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's amazing. Pastor Mike, like it blows my mind how many people he knows for such like a, a smaller church. He just like connects with different people mm-hmm. and it, so cool to see his heart for evangelism and how he really tries to just pour into everybody. It's something to admire and try to reflect. Yes, I agree with that. And uh, tell everybody how old you are, if you would. I'm currently uh, 21 years old, and I'm currently a senior 
I'm currently a senior in college getting a biblical studies degree with an emphasis on ministry. I go to Grace College Akron, which is a campus of Grace College in Winona Lake, Indiana, ran out and it's ran out of Grace Church Bath. Um, I'm trying to think of other things about that. Uh, I should graduate in the, in the spring from there. I don't know kind of where the Lord's taken me. He's thrown my life for a loop these past couple of weeks and I've been learning a lot and doing a lot of cool things, going through a lot of personal growth. And I'm thinking about doing a residency program where I go and get my master's degree or, you know, wherever the Lord takes me. It could be vocational ministry. It could not be. I'll see. Yeah. Awesome. So are you ready to talk about the Bible? I suppose. I, I do <laughs> like that thing. <laughs> All right. Let's go ahead and talk about Exodus chapter 26, verses 26 through 37. And as you guys know, this is the building of the tabernacle part three. And Casey is going to uh, discuss this with us a little bit today. And we'll talk more about this tabernacle that God is having Moses build with the help of all of these skilled workers. So let's go ahead and talk about this. As I usually do, I will be reading out the W.E.B. version of the Bible. You shall make bars of acacia wood, five for the boards of the one side of the tabernacle, and five bars for the boards of the other side of the tabernacle, and five bars for the boards of the side of the tabernacle for the far side westward. The middle bar in the middle of the boards shall pass through from end to end, and you shall overlay the boards with gold and make their rings of gold for places for the bars, and you shall overlay the bars with gold. You shall set up the tabernacle according to the way that it was shown to you on the mountain. You shall make a veil of blue and of purple and scarlet and fine twined linen with cherubim. And it shall be the work of skillful workmen. You shall hang it on four pillars of acacia overlaid with gold and their hooks shall be of gold on four sockets of silver. You shall hang up the veil under the clasps and shall bring the Ark of the Covenant in there within the veil, and the veil shall separate the holy place from the most holy for you. You shall put the mercy seat on the Ark of the Covenant in the most holy place, and you shall set the table outside the veil and the lamp stand opposite the table on the side of the tabernacle towards the south, and you shall put the table on the north side. You shall make a screen for the door of the tent of blue and of purple and scarlet and fine twined linen, the work of the embroider. You shall make for the screen five pillars of acacia and overlay them with gold. Their hooks shall be of gold. You shall cast five sockets of bronze for them. So Casey, what stood out to you the most about this portion of scripture? Um, there's a lot of things that stood out to me. I think the, the first thing that really stands out to me and... In a way, it's related to the scripture, but it's also like not, I think. It definitely is. I think it is. And that's just the sheer detail. The one way I would describe like Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers when you get into the, the law and all these things is, I hate to describe it this way, but I would almost say beautifully boring. That, that sounds like a terrible description. But when, you, when we read through this, we're like, wow, there's just so much that they had to stick to and so many details. And I feel like I, I see a lot of Christians um, and a lot of non-believers too. They complain. They're like, why on earth is there so much detail in this? And, but yet he makes the first three chapters of the entire Bible where he literally makes the earth very little detail. But then he throws all of this detail into here. And what's interesting when, when I think about that, it's like, well, it's because we can't comprehend the detail. If God actually gave us the detail of a, of a neutron, he actually like went through that in the Bible and explained that to us. One, 
it'd probably be the first half of the Bible alone to explain all of our feeble <laughs> human minds. And secondly, we would get bored. We'd get so bored. My first time reading through the Bible and I got to this section of scripture, I just got like, I got so bored and I was ready to skip it. And But I kept powering through because I knew like, this is, this is something good I need to read. And I was like, this is, this is the word of the Lord, like hand handed down. And so what really, so that's kind of my tangent with that. What really sticks out with me to this is just, you can see the clear test that the Lord puts into this for the Israelites. Like he, so many minute details on how they're supposed to set up the tabernacle and how they're supposed to put things into place. And if they put like one thing off, they're not honoring God at all. And we could correlate that and reflect that to our, our modern life. I mean, we're not under this covenant like the Israelites were. Um, but we can't be like putting like one little minute thing off. We should really be trying to put everything into the right place for the Lord. There's more to it than that, but I think that's that's kind of my big from it. It, it is funny that you mention um, like beautifully boring. Because <laughs> yeah. the first time I ever read through the entire Bible in one go, I think you guys know this, was when I was working at the factory job. I had a lot of time to do that. And uh, when I got to this portion of Exodus in particular, I remember thinking like, I have to listen to something else because I'm going to fall asleep at the machine. <laughs> but <clears throat> but it is a really good portion to read about. And there, when you go through it and you really look at everything that God is saying to do here, it's very true. It is super beautiful. Like this stuff is so, uh, you know, it's so like intricate, everything that he's talking about. Like once this was built, this would have been a gorgeous temple. I mean, this would have been something that we go and travel to just to look at the sheer beauty of it, you know? And so what do you think, like, why do you think God would command such elaborate and uh, beautiful materials to build this temple? Why do you think that? Um, I would say in a way to make sure that they're in check and that they understand like who this is for. Because so like I went to a high school where purple was the was our main color, um, and this was like 1000 BC I think when this would have like transpired. Purple was when you went to high school. No, not when I went. No, <laughs> not when I went to high school. When this was written, I went to high school in, like four years ago. Um, when this was written, it was like 1000 BC, 1500 somewhere in there. Um, it's a little rusty on time frame wise, but what purple was not. A common color purple was literally a color of royalty that's what we we everybody knows it purple is a color of royalty it was a color of royalty because of how extremely rare and expensive it was to make purple so for me when i see the lord saying like um in 31 where he says you shall make the veil of blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine and fine twined linen like for me that's just screaming he's like i want if you're gonna build this for me and you're gonna live your life for me you're going to honor me and you're going to put your best foot forward for me and you're going to use the best materials um as possible and you're going to when you look at this you're going to remember me and remember what you're putting into it and who you're trying to honor and trying to honor the best thing possible and i have to say i i think that let's think about the canaanites at this time period i always like to go back to them a little bit to like bring some context into it they probably had shrines for their gods that were intricate and beautiful. And God is saying, if they can do it, you guys can certainly do it because I am God. You're not worshiping these other 
fake gods. I mean, I mean, we already know about Egypt. We know what was there and how intricate they made these, you know, images of their gods and their tombs and everything like overlaid with gold. Like we we see Egypt even now to these day, this day we can go and look at it and be like, wow, you know, this is way beyond its time period for, you know, the Egyptians did this and this and this for their gods. And God is saying, you know, you came out of that. You saw how intricate their tabernacles and temples and whatever they had back then were. And now I'm expecting you to do something for me, something intricate and beautiful like the pagans do. But for me, because I am God. So I, I think that this is just showing you're absolutely right. Like purple is the color of royalty. How grand God really is. So God kind of tells us here that there needs to be skilled workers. In fact, he's mentioned that a handful of times throughout this passage. And he says specifically about the skilled worker in verse uh, 31. It says, make the veil of blue and of purple and of scarlet and fine twine linen with cherubim. And it shall be the work of a skillful workman. So what is the importance of this skilled worker? Although we kind of talked about this a little bit already, but what's the importance of just making sure that you're doing something to the best of your ability for God? I mean, because it shows how much you like care and honor him. I think that the real big focus that God is trying to, to put and invoke on the Israel, Israel's heart. It's like when you're doing stuff for me, you're, you're going to do it right. And you're going to do it with the absolute best foot forward. And I think we do our best work, too, when we're dedicating it to God, even to this day. Yes. And uh, I, th I think it's important. I think there's many verses throughout Scripture that kind of talk about doing the best work you can for God all throughout Scripture. For sure, for sure. I was just thinking of, um, I'm currently reading through some men's, uh, what it means to be a man in the Bible, and just thinking of, like, qualification of an elder in Titus 1. Uh, 15 through 6, it talks about how an elder is to um, basically be dignified in honoring the Lord and how he lives his life, um, not being a slanderer or greedy gain or anything like that. But literally, like it's saying, if you want to lead God's people, you want to be an elder of the church or a pastor, essentially, you, you really got to be like in control of it and putting your best foot forward, making sure that you're picking a good bride at your side and that your kids aren't like rambunctious and that you're really leading your home. It finishes the, the section of Titus off by saying, uh, basically, if you want to lead God's people, you better prove that you can lead your own home because that's your first ministry. It always like correlates back no, no matter if you're an Israelite or you're um, a Jew, a Gentile, a Greek, whatever, uh, or an American, well, whatever it is, it's to the, in John 17, 4, I think Christ is talking to, it's called the high priestly prayer, and Christ is talking to um, God, and he says, uh, basically, that they would that they would know you and glorify you, and that's kind of the meaning of life, we would say, for Christians, is to, to know God and to glorify God, to give him the absolute best, and it's been that since the beginning. Right, exactly. I completely agree with that, and uh, one thing that was kind of interesting here that I didn't discuss with Casey beforehand. It says here that in verse 33, you shall set up the tabernacle according to the way that it was shown to you on the mountain. Now, we have talked about that before in the past where Moses was probably given this sort of vision to what the tabernacle was supposed to look like. I think God <clears throat> kind of laid it out for him beforehand and then was teaching him how 
to actually build this temple. And we've discussed that a little bit about that vision Moses saw on that mountain. And and that's kind of where everything starts out. I think God sort of gives us this vision, this plan to do something. And then he gives us the tools to do it after that. So I just want to throw that out there. That's kind of a side note. (laughs) But I didn't talk to... That's cool. That's cool. I like it. Yeah. So one other question I want to ask you, Casey, it says... um, you know, it's talking about the holy place and then the most holy place. So what is the significance between the holy place and the most holy place? And why did they need to be covered by that thick veil? In fact, we find out later on that that veil was super thick. Like it was, I think, like four finger widths fit thick or something. It's something ridiculous. It's, yeah. so, it's like, I think I've seen like half a foot in some translate. It's really thick. I mean, that's what makes yeah. like statement in... Um, in I think Matthew when the veil is torn such a powerful statement because of how thick that curtain is like you can take your curtain if you try hard enough you're going to tear it but you're gonna need like two tanks to rip (laughs) apart something that's half a foot thick yeah I mean my my curtains are all shears I don't think I could rip them apart if I even wanted to (laughs) fair enough fair enough all right go ahead Um, Casey I'm sorry so no you're good that's funny i like that um with the the holy place and the most holy place um thinking about that is like to be holy is to be set apart that's what the word originally kind of translates to and so like i know the holy place was where they would like burn incense and do that and then the most holy place is where the ark of the covenant was like stored so like the significance of the difference I guess you could say like the most holy place we kind of recognize in scripture that like for man to experience God, man would die, like just fall down. So that, that most holy place or the the beauty of it is just where God is stored, not stored, but he, that's where the tabernacle is. That's where his presence is. And so I think they have to recognize and really understand and be careful with that most holy place because you don't want to, you know, dishonor it this is his area mm-hmm. i think that's kind of what i'm understanding out of that yes um, area can be tricky for me to understand but i get the i get the general concept is most holy place that's where the tabernacle is it is even more set apart than the holy place where people go and burn incense and that's crazy to think about. they are connected in the same building but because of this huge curtain that's in the way that one is even more set apart and that again that goes into the symbolism that's within the gospel that makes it so beautiful is like now this holy place is open to all. Yeah, because you know? we do find out here, and I agree with that. I think that's awesome what you just said at the end there, and I kind of cut you off. But um, God always wanted to live with his people. I mean, that was the original plan from the beginning where we see Adam and Eve walking with God, and, you know, like they were able to experience God in that way where um, they were able to like walk with him kind of. But then, you know, then we see this holy place where, or the most holy place where God wants to basically dwell with his people. He wants to live with them. And then you're absolutely right at the very end there when that curtain was torn. We we already talked about that in Matthew when Jesus uh, died. There was no separation anymore between the holy place and the most holy place. And anybody at this point could now come to God through Jesus Christ. For sure, for sure. It's it's awesome stuff. So um, what is something we can take away from this portion of scripture today, Casey? I think the biggest thing to take away is just to really be putting the best foot forward for the Lord. I mean, 
he's literally commanding the Israelites right here. Like you are building my dwelling place where I'm going to dwell with you. You better make it the best possible. And recognize like as Christ followers, we believe the Holy spirit comes within us and, is, and dwells within us. So is that a scream and shout that we need to start working out? Um, maybe. Is that, a, is that a scream and shout that we need to be taking care of our bodies? Probably, maybe. But what we really need to be doing is honoring God with our bodies. We need to be honoring our best foot forward. We need to be honoring him with everything we can because he's our dwelling place. They honored him, they honored him with, their, with, uh, the, with his dwelling place in the, in the tabernacle. Well, now we, that doesn't, that's not to say that doesn't apply to us. We need to be honoring to the Lord and putting that best foot forward. And that doesn't mean we have to run around wearing fine purple linen all the time um, <laughs> because purple's way more common now, but we do need to be doing our best foot forward and honoring the Lord. Yes, exactly. Because Jesus is within us. Mm. That's what it says in, in scripture. It's now yeah. we're the temple. So yes. I think that's excellent that you made that point that. Now that we are the temple of Jesus, this is where the Holy Spirit is living, is within us, to anybody that accepts the Holy Spirit, we are supposed to almost look at, you know what, that opened up so many things for me just now, Casey, that you mentioned that, with just how intricate all these details are, with what God is saying to do with a temple, I mean, how much more are we supposed to be, you know, respecting our bodies in the sense that, you know, Jesus is living in us, we need to be just honoring, you know, God in the way that we, we take care of ourselves. And Paul talks about that yeah. a little bit. Yeah, we need to. I was just going to say in, in Colossians, um, I think it's four. Colossians four. Um, it talks about taking off, um, putting on the new self. You know, to let go of your earthly ways and to put on who you are now. To let go of the big one I think of is like the sexual immorality, obscene talk, letting, letting those things go and honoring the Lord with who you are. I, I agree. Or not with who you are, but with who he is. Yes, exactly. I think that's great. And um, I, I appreciate you coming on the podcast today, Casey. I, I, I loved, yeah, I loved the uh, input that you put in. I thought it was great. Thanks for uh, opening up that little tidbit there about the tabernacle and uh, us now being the tabernacle or the temple, I should say. So thank you for that. Absolutely. Well, friends and faithful listeners, I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you loved it. I hope you enjoyed having Casey on the episode uh, to talk with us a little bit. And uh, if you did, like and share the podcast and rate it five stars. And you can also write a review on Apple Podcasts. And that will help the P40 Ministries podcast get found by more people. But friends and faithful listeners, have a fantastic Monday afternoon. Happy listening and God bless.